Once more to the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, where we will continue our study of this book of prophecy. This evening, we will be looking at Malachi 3, verses 13 through 18, so the end of the chapter. Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, this is the word of the Lord. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then... Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. We thank you that you've given it to us for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that we, your people, might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We pray, Lord, that you would, by your word tonight, equip us for every good work, that you would equip us to serve the Lord Jesus, in whom we trust and in whose name we pray. Amen. Children, and I suppose adults, but children especially, I would like you to maybe think of a time when there was mm, a big task to be done, a big chore that needed doing. And your mom or your dad came up to you and said, or maybe you can imagine a time like this, and they would say, if you work hard today, if you work hard after this chore is done, we're going to go to Leo's and get ice cream. Or maybe you would just get a big bucket of ice cream from the store. But whatever the case may be, you're going to get ice cream if you work hard. Now, adults, since we're the ones who buy the ice cream, this doesn't have quite the same effect. But maybe you can say to yourself, if I work hard today, I'm going to get ice cream. Well, there's really only two responses to that, isn't there? Children, if your mom and your dad say, work hard and you will get ice cream. You can respond in one of two ways. You can either say, okay, and you work hard, or you can say, meh, and you don't work hard. And then you end up disobeying because your parents said, we need to do this. There's two responses, aren't there? There's two responses to the word of your parents. You can listen and obey, or you can ignore and disobey. You can listen, 
which will result in getting some delicious ice cream, or you can ignore, disobey, which does not result in getting ice cream. It might, in fact, result in a form of discipline, mightn't it? Well, similarly to this, I'd like you to think about two responses, not to the word of your parents, a a command of your parents, an exhortation from your parents. Think of the two responses which there are to God's word. Because there really are only two responses to God's word, isn't there? There's either the response that says, yes, God has spoken. God has said, repent and trust in Christ. And I see that Christ is the only savior, so I will trust in Christ. Or there's the response that says, I don't really care much. What's that gonna do for me? I can buy my own ice cream. There's a response that says, I don't care. And a response that says, yes, Lord. And tonight in our text, we see those two responses in Israel, don't we? We see the response of many people in Israel who say, is it really worth it to serve God? I don't think so. But we see the response of another group of people who because of of the grace of God, respond in faith. So that's the division which we see this evening. As you can see in your bulletin, there's two main headings, very cleverly titled, the first response and the second response. Because there's two responses. The first response which we see in verses 13 through 15, response of, heart that sets itself against God, if you want. And then a second response, which we see in verses 16 through the end of the chapter, the response of the heart, which does not set itself against God, but rather throws itself upon the Lord. Those are the things that we'll look at this evening. First, the first response in verses 13 through 15. Let's see what God says here about that. In verses 13 through 15, we read these words. God is speaking. He says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You've said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they Escape In these three verses, we see the response of a person whose heart is set against God. Their heart is set against God. They have spoken hard words against the Lord. Hard words which come from a hard heart. These hard words in, in, in the Hebrew, it's... it's Firmness, stiffness, those of of a stiff-necked and stubborn people who instead of hearing everything that God has said to them throughout the entirety of, of this book, but throughout the entirety of the time of the prophets, instead of hearing what God says to them and saying, oh, this is the word of God. This is the grace of God given to us, calling us to repent, calling us to, to place our trust in the future Messiah. 
Instead of that, they start to grumble against God and complain and, and they mutter against him. And when God calls them out here, they say, what? We've never done anything like that. How have we spoken against you, Lord? They've spoken hard words, insulting words, fighting words, you might say. Maybe you've seen a cowboy movie or the like where one character says to another character uh, some sort of insult. And the person who's been insulted says, those are fighting words. Now draw. What the Israelites speak against God are, are hard words. They're fighting words. They're words pointed and barbed and shooting at God attacking who he is, his character, what he's done for them. And it demonstrates that the hearts of these people are, are in their natural state, the fallen state. They say, what have we said against you? Has, has what we've said to you really been all that bad, Lord? Would you really call those hard words? Can't be all that bad. They don't see the heinousness the great evil of their sins of speaking hard words against the Lord because their hearts are hard and set against God. And this is particularly grievous, I think, because you remember that in each one of these uh, dialogues, if you will, God has said something to Israel and they've responded with a question like, what, when have we done that? But you remember the very first thing that he said to them in the book of Malachi? He said, I have loved you. He reminds the people of his love for them. And then all throughout, as he's saying, turn from your wickedness, turn from your evil, turn back to me. Instead of them saying, Lord, you're right. They say, really, have we done that? Do we really need to do that? Their hearts are hard. Their hearts are set against God. And these hearts set against God are, are depicted very vividly here in the next couple verses in, in 14 and 15. These hearts, the hearts of a person set against God have several characteristics. First, they have no consideration or they take no consideration of, of spiritual matters. Do they look at what verse 14 says? The people have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? They say it's worthless to serve God. It's, it's vanity, worthlessness. You remember what the writer of Ecclesiastes uh, says over and over, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity, everything is meaningless. Well, these people here are saying to serve God is meaningless. It doesn't do anything for us. It doesn't help us in any way. They say it's vain to serve him. They say it's vain to obey him. What profit is there in our keeping his charge and in obeying his commandments? What do we get in return? What profit, they say, is there in mourning before the Lord? What profit is there in repentance? It's what it means here to, to walk in mourning before the Lord. They say, what is the point in being sorry for our sins? 
What is the point in asking God for, for forgiveness? We haven't really done much of anything. How does that profit us? They think very little of God. They think very little of the things of God. They think little of faith. They think little of repentance. They think little of obedience. They say it's not worth it. And they seek their own pleasure and glory, don't they? They say, where is the profit of doing these things? Is it profitable to obey God? Is it profitable to repent, to turn from our wickedness and our sin? Is it going to get us uh, rewards, riches, glory, fame? No, they say, it won't do any of that for us. It must not be worth it. They seek their own pleasure and their glory because they seek their own profit. They think they ought to be rewarded for serving God. There should be this one-to-one transaction. God, for every time I obey your commandments, you should give me X. For every time I tell the truth, Lord, you should reward me with money. For every time I, I worship you, God, you should give me a little bit of fame. I think that service of God should bring glory, should bring riches, should bring them personal gain because their hearts seek their own pleasure and glory. So they don't have a consideration for spiritual matters. They, they're seeking their own things, their own pleasure and glory. And finally, these hearts that are set against God have little thoughts about God. They don't consider who God is and what he's done. In verse 15, they say, now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. They speak hard words against God like they did back in Chapter 2, verse 17, saying God has changed. God delights in evildoers. Here they say, evildoers prosper. What profit is it in our obeying God or, or repenting? Evildoers are the ones who are successful. Evildoers are the ones who are rewarded. Evildoers get fame and glory and riches from, from doing evil. They prosper, but what's more, they put God to the test. They tempt God, these people say, and God doesn't do anything about it. They think little things about God. They've forgotten that God is the judge of all the earth who will do right. They forget that the Lord is just and good. They think that just because evildoers aren't punished right away here before them, here on earth, that God just doesn't care, or maybe that God doesn't even exist. Or they think that God is just like themselves. God's not the one who knows all things. God isn't the one who will judge men on the last day, no. Evildoers prosper. They put God to the test, and they get away with it. Now maybe... 
you're asking a question here about putting God to the test and escaping. Because if you remember from last week, God says, put me to the test and I will bless you, doesn't he? Well, test here is very different from test earlier in, uh, in the text. Excuse me. When God says, put me to the test, he says, try me, trust me. Depend upon me because I am the dependable God. When these people say that God is being put to the test and the people who are testing him are escaping, they're talking about a sinful kind of test. These people are saying, well, I can just do whatever I want and we'll see if God can do anything to me in return. Saying, I'm going to sin boldly. God can't really do anything. This is maybe uh, somewhat like getting on a motorcycle and driving 120 miles an hour on an icy road and saying, nothing's going to happen to me. I'm invincible. I can't get pulled over by the police. I can't crash after I hit an icy patch. I'll be perfectly fine. This kind of testing of God is, is a sinful act which says, I don't believe God can actually do anything to me. And these people think that those who are saying these things and doing these things are escaping because they think little thoughts of God. They've forgotten who he is. They've forgotten his great grace and mercy towards men. They've also forgotten his his perfect, holy justice, which will be demonstrated on the last day. That is a heart dead in its trespasses and sins. That is uh, the words of a heart which does not know God for for who he is and, and what he's done. This is the heart of many people around us. A heart set against God who says, I don't know God, I don't care to know God. A heart which might say, I don't even believe there is a God. Heart which hates God. This is the first response which we see. A truly terrible response, a sad response. A response which should cause us, I think, to to shudder and say, Lord, please don't let this ever be said of me. Lord, I would never want to speak hard words against you. Please forgive me for when I have. Please forgive me for when I have been faithless towards you. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the heart which says those kinds of things, which does not want to say hard things against God, which loves Christ, wants to serve God, wants to delight God, is the heart which has the second kind of response, isn't it? The second response, which we see in verse 16, but which we see the results of uh, in the rest of our text in 17 and 18, the heart that fears God. A new heart. A heart given graciously by a gracious God. A heart that was once a heart of stone, but now is made a heart of flesh by the work of the Holy Spirit. Verses 16 through 18 
tells us of, of the second response of people who have a new heart. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Here we see a heart which serves God, a heart that fears God. We see quite clearly here, it says, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. It's a strange uh, little interlude here in the middle of Malachi's prophecy, isn't it? He's been speaking for the Lord over and over again, bringing charge upon charge upon charge against Israel in this oracle. And then all of a sudden it, it shifts to the response of people who've heard the words of the Lord. And it says they feared the Lord. They feared him. Now, this kind of fear, as I'm sure many, if not all of you know, doesn't mean a uh, terror a cowering before God. It doesn't mean they heard all of these words and then all looked up with panic in their eyes thinking, oh no, is God going to strike me down right now? This is a godly kind of fear, a, a filial fear, the fear of a son towards a father, a reverence and a respect. The people here have heard all that God has said. They've, they've heard his rebukes of their sin and they say, well, God is the judge so he would know if we've sinned. So we should listen to him. They've heard God's great and glorious prophecy of Christ coming, the Lord who will suddenly enter the temple. And they're saying, the Lord will himself come. We should listen to him when he says this. We should prepare ourselves for this. They feared God. They reverenced him. They respected him. In verse 16, it says that they're the ones who esteem his name. They're the ones who who think highly of God. Instead of thinking little thoughts of God, they, they're thinking big thoughts of God. They're esteeming his name. They're, they're remembering all the ways in which God has revealed himself throughout his word. All of those actions which God has taken in his grace and his mercy towards Israel. The names which the patriarchs gave him, describing the, the different things which he'd done for them. The Lord who provides, the one who provided uh, the ram and the thorns, a substitute sacrifice for Isaac or the God who sees the one who saw Rahab or <clears throat> the one who saw uh, his people throughout all time. The one who, who took notice. <clears throat> they esteemed God's name, held it high. They're revering God, praising God, worshiping him, no longer thinking small thoughts of God, but, but recognizing him for who he is and what he's done. And in verse 18, it says, these are the people that serve God. Their fear of God, their reverence for him, their esteem for his name is, results in action in their lives. The Lord has, has changed them by his spirit. Their hearts are not hearts which are set against God, but hearts which are inclined to God. Hearts which love the Lord who has spoken to them and wants to serve him. This is the second response. It's to fear God, to love God, to see 
who he is and what he's done. This is the reaction of a heart that has been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heart which has heard the good news of Christ. Has heard the bad news first, surely. That we've sinned against a holy and just God. But that he, out of an abundance of love and mercy, has given to us his only begotten son to die on our behalf, to, to take the wrath of God that we deserved and to put it away so that we would be safe. This is a heart which has been changed. No longer it's stone, no longer unfeeling, set against God, despising him, hating him, thinking little of him, but a heart which has been infused with love for God by the work of the Holy Spirit and flees to him. And the rest of this text tells us something absolutely amazing. The Lord delights, delights in this kind of heart. This new heart which he gives to men, he has pleasure in. The second half of verse 16 through 18, the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. A book of remembrance or a scroll was written before the Lord. God doesn't need a scroll to remember, does he? God knows all things. He remembers all things. He's not like us who need to write down a grocery list because once we get to the store, if we don't have that list, half the things which we wrote down, we've completely forgotten about. God doesn't need something like that. But here it says that God had a scroll of remembrance written before him, a record, if you will, of those who belonged to him, those people who feared him. Not because he needed a reminder, but because he delighted in the fact that they feared him and they spoke to one another. He took notice of what they said. And this scroll is basically a testimony to men that God does remember those who fear him. He will remember those who fear him. They are his people It's not because God needs a scroll to remind us, but because we need to be reminded that God never forgets. And he will save to the uttermost all those who trust in him, in his salvation, in Christ. So he writes this scroll of remembrance. He says, I will remember them because he delights in them. He remembers them and he calls them his special treasure. He says, they shall be mine says the Lord of hosts in the day when I make up my treasured possession. God calls these people who fear him, and I think by extension calls all who fear him, all who are trusting in Christ, his treasured possession, his, his special possession, a treasure in which he glories and delights. And this, I think, is quite, quite marvelous That those who he sets aside to be his people, to be his possession, are are treasured by him. The word here, treasured possession, really means something precious to him. 
something uh, along the lines of what we might think of when we think of, of a family heirloom, something which is passed down from generation to generation and you get it and you want to keep it safe and probably you set it on a shelf and it looks very nice and when your children say, can I play with that? You say, this isn't a thing for playing. This is, this is special to us. It's treasured to us. God says that these people, his people, those who fear him are a treasured possession for him, precious in his sight. And he says they will be preserved as sons of the most high God on that last day. He says, I'll spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. He's going to treat them not as somebody who he's never known, somebody who's completely foreign to him. He's going to treat them like sons. Like sons. When your children come to you and ask for something, you might be inclined to give it to them because it's good for them. But if some random child came up to you in the park and asked you for a peanut butter sandwich, you might say, I don't know who you are. Why would you be asking this of me? You, you, you aren't my child. I, I have peanut butter sandwiches for my children. God will treat those who fear him. God treats those who trust in Christ as his sons because as we read in the New Testament, those who trust in Christ, those who are given the Holy Spirit are God's sons by adoption, God's children by adoption. They're given the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In Christ, we have one of those blessings in the heavenly places, the adoption as sons. And so we are treated by God as sons. He will treat these people who fear him, he says, as those whom he has loved from before the foundation of the world, those whom he saves and will save through the blood of his only begotten son. He'll spare them. They're safe because they are his. On the last day, these people who fear God will be shown to be the beloved of the Lord. While those whose hearts are set against God will be shown to be enemies of God. On that last day when those whose hearts are set against God appear before him, he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. But to those who fear God, those who take him at his word, those who trust his word when he says, look to Christ and live, he will say to them, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. Those will be welcomed by God and the distinction will be shown so very clearly of those who made one of two responses. Those people who have the first response, whose, whose hearts are set against God because they're still dead in their trespasses and sins, they don't want anything to do with God, will be shown to be the wicked, the ones who do not serve him. Whereas those who, because of God's grace, look to Christ and live, fear the Lord and trust in him, it will be shown to be the righteous, given the righteousness of Christ, shown to be the ones who serve God because of the Holy Spirit's work in their life, causing them to will and to work into his good pleasure. And so we will see there on that last day who made what response. We'll see that there are only two responses. 
those who trust the Lord and those who turn away from him. Which leads to a couple of applicatory questions before we close. What is your response to God's word? This is something which we really ought to all consider so very carefully, isn't it? When God says that outside of Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You've sinned against him. You've broken his law and you you deserve justice. You deserve punishment because when you break the law, you deserve the consequences, don't you? When God says that, do you believe him? Do you listen to him or do you say, don't care? When God says that there is mercy and grace for you who have broken my law, if you look to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him for salvation, do you listen to him? Do you believe him? Or do you say, I'll take care of this problem on my own? How do you respond to him? Do you fear God Do you love him and want to serve him because he has been so kind and gracious to you in Christ? Or do you think it's vain to serve him? Do you think, I have a million other things that I would rather do than serve God? Do you think there's better things you could do with your time, with your money, with your life? Dear people, that is a foolish response. That is a sad response. If, if that is what your heart thinks right now, then I would implore you, beg you really, turn to Christ. There is nothing better that you could do with your time, with your money, with your life than to serve God. He is the great and glorious one who offers freely, freely to sinful men salvation. Do not set your heart against him. Cry out to him and ask him to receive you and to to change your heart, to take it from being a heart of stone and to make it a heart of flesh, to, to renew your heart within you so that you might fear him, that you might serve him, that you might look to Christ and live. That, dear people, is is the only appropriate response to God. Please, please do not set your heart against God. Instead, ask God to set your heart toward him, to serve him. And you who are trusting in Christ this evening, I would like to encourage you, exhort you, serve the Lord with fear and gladness. Remember who he is and what he has done and and esteem him highly, revere him, reverence him and serve him with that in mind, but serve him also with gladness. We should respect God and keep his commands and we should also remember that every act of obedience, every act of obedience, even the little ones, even the smallest act of obedience are noticed by God and he delights in them. The people of Israel feared God and and they started talking to one another and God noticed. God notices those small things. Children, when your mom and your dad tell you to do something, 
And you remember, well, God says I am supposed to obey my parents and I love the Lord Jesus and I want to serve him. So I, I want to obey my parents. God takes notice of that. God delights in that. He says, well done. Well done, my child. Grownups, even your smallest acts of obedience, when you say, I love Christ and I want to serve him, he's commanded me to do this, I, I'm going to do it. God takes notice of that and he delights in it. Now, surely, the Lord is the one who works in us to desire these things and to do these things. But God takes just as much delight in us doing those things as as a parent takes delight in their child, helping them carry a box up the stairs, the child might not actually be doing anything. They're trying very hard, but the parent's doing all the heavy lifting. God does all the heavy lifting, but he still delights in our obedience because it glorifies him. And so, dear people, serve the Lord with gladness and fear, reverencing him, and knowing that when you serve him, when you obey him, you are pleasing your heavenly father. This is a great and glorious thing which should fuel us and encourage us to serve the Lord, to respond with that second response with fear of God and delight in serving him because he is the God who saves and saves to the uttermost. Let's pray. Our God, and our Father, we marvel at your great grace towards us that though in our natural state our hearts are set against you, uh, though in our natural state we hate the Lord and do not want to, to serve you, do not want to fear you, yet you in your great grace change hearts by your Spirit and cause us to be able to fear you, giving us that, that grace, that faith, which we need. Lord, we marvel at this. We thank you for it. Lord, we ask that you would increase our fear of you, that you would constantly show us who you are and what it is that you have done for us that we might revere you and respect you, esteem you highly, serve you. We pray that you would remind us constantly of Christ and his great sacrifice on our behalf so that we would be reminded to repent of our sins and to place our faith in him every moment. Lord, we thank you that you work in us by your spirit to serve you we thank you that you accept our service and that it glorifies you. Help us to serve you more, Lord. We pray that you would bring those whose hearts are set against you to saving faith in Christ, that you would work in their hearts, removing the heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh, that they might trust Christ and glorify you, and that we might all together serve you, the true and living God. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's take a few moments now and meditate on uh, this text of Scripture. Uh, think about whether or not we 
have hearts set against God or whether or not we are trusting in Christ because of the grace of God and uh, to really think about whether or not we fear God and esteem him highly or whether we think little thoughts of him. We, we ought to constantly have these questions in our mind as we hear things like this. Crying out to God for forgiveness where we sin and thanking him for his grace and those areas in which we are bearing fruit. Let's think about these things.